I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In each episode, we talk about the week in review, what TV shows and movies we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is either a main review or topic of discussion. Before moving on to film faves, our final segment, wherein we count down our respective 12 favorite films around a particular topic. In this episode... We'll be taking a break from reviewing films to look ahead at what's coming in the summer movie season with our summer movie preview. Then, Film Faves is back with our favorite documentaries of the decade, continuing our year-long series looking back through the decade and our celebration of what we loved during the course of the decade. So let's get right on to it with the week in review. First, I had a couple things that I watched a little while ago and I had to kind of put off because we had so much stuff to talk about the past couple episodes. So the first thing I saw was 1986's Oliver Stone film Platoon, which mistakenly... When I read our film phase, 1987, talking about information about that year, it had I was given uh, incorrect data that said that it was the second highest grossing film of 1987. Well, that's actually not accurate because it came out in December of 1986. So, uh-huh. like, someone messed up with that. Anyway, so found out that that error was made a couple episodes ago. At any rate, this thing was, like, the important big movie of the year. Like, it was... The Best Picture winner and all that in uh, for 1986 is a Vietnam film uh, by Oliver Stone, partially based on his experiences in the Vietnam War. It has a huge cast. I don't know if you've seen this film, Shen. I know you're not a big war fan, uh, war movie fan, but have you seen it? No, 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 absolutely okay. not. It's one of the go-to <laughs> Vietnam War movies that people do talk about. This one stars Tom Berenger, Keith David, Willem Dafoe, Forrest Whitaker, Kevin Dillon, John C. McGinley. Uh, I thought Apocalypse Now was the one to go to. The, uh, for different reasons, but like this was mm. one of the... Apocalypse Now isn't necessarily strictly about Vietnam War. It just uses Vietnam War as a backdrop for a bigger metaphor. Mm-hmm. Vietnam War, or Platoon, is actually about experiences in the war. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, familiar face Mark Moses stars in it. Johnny Depp, if you have an eagle eye, you'll see him in an early role in it. And what it is skipping for some reason on IMDb is the main character, which is Charlie Sheen. Uh, he, he stars as a uh, kind of a young soldier who's faced with a moral crisis between the horrors of war and the duality of man. The duality of man is one of the good things about the film, represented best by the characters of Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe. Charlie Sheen, though, is largely a character that's a, a cipher. He's not much of a character, not someone that we have go through a lot of growth or necessarily a fully-fledged character. Is really just like our eyes into the Vietnam War, you know? Mm-hmm. 
a trope we've seen a lot and it can be very effective and it may be like one of sheen's best work but that's really mostly what he is is he's a cypher reacting to everything around him you know the thing about platoon is it's been kind of raised up and elevated and i feel like it is widely considered one of oliver stone's greatest films but i don't think it's a great film i think it's a very good film with great moments like the sequence where they raid a village and what happens like the horrific events that happen when they raid a village is is great uh, sequence because it's it's really helping depict especially back in the 80s when people were trying to make sense of the war and reflecting back on it it was really depicting the realities of it like how not that the news didn't already but how do i say some stuff that you might not have seen in the news and the the um, evils that we were responsible for it depicts but I, I didn't say i wouldn't say i love the movie i wouldn't say it's my favorite oliver stone film it's one of his better ones but not exactly what the reputation would suggest uh that's platoon i also watched a documentary i think it's one of the only documentaries by michael moore i haven't seen same thing for you shanna but you weren't too interested on this about this one based on the title which i don't blame you it's called where to invade next now shanna when you hear that title where to invade next what do you think the film's about well my thought is like world domination because Mm -hmm. that's kind of the literal translation right Mm. Um, and, you know, Michael Moore is very good at making films. He's very good at making you outraged and think about things. And I just wasn't in the mood for Michael Moore at that time when you wanted to watch it. So. In the sense of being outraged, seeing something that would outrage you or what? I think that when I sit through his films, I'm outraged through most of it. Mm. Because even though he actually is doing a slow build-up to what the issue is sometimes, Mm. Mm -hmm. like I'm still outraged because I guess I can sense his outrage. Okay, Um, nothing that he's doing in particular that upsets you. No, not him. It's just I know that if I'm going to watch one of his films, I need to be ready Mm -hmm. to be outraged and actually be willing to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, we're all human. Like sometimes I don't want to ask questions. And I was just in this state of like not wanting to. But Just um, not in the mood. You said that something was very interesting about the title, what it actually was trying to do. Yeah, I, I asked you the question because I feel like it's a very misleading title. I don't think it's actually a great title for the film because I think it gives people a different impression than what the film actually is about. So the name comes from this this setup, this kind of structure he's hanging the film on, which is he's going to go to all these different countries and invade and steal their ideas uh, and claim them as Americas. That's his cheeky um, setup. And he, he is very, very cheeky. Probably the cheekiest I have seen him in without being like facetious or obnoxious about it in any other movie. Uh, this Because this in this movie, it actually is hanging on a cheeky premise. The thing is... There's a lot of value in the content and the, the, the stuff that he is bringing to mind in this, in this documentary. 
you know, he's learning about countries that are able to do eight hour days for all their employees or able to give their employees full medical or uh, pay for their honeymoons and their vacations and they get days off like public holidays they get a a 13th month of pay and all these sorts of things you know there's there's prison systems where prisoners don't actually feel in danger of other prisoners you know imagine that they don't feel like they need it's a very strange concept right right yeah you know they actually are actively working with knives in a kitchen or whatever and they're they're like well that that knife says that knife's for cooking it's not for stabbing people you know <laughs> all these different things and all these different cultures and, and, and uh, countries mostly throughout europe but there is one northern african country that is looked at as well i think it definitely is a film that gets the conversation started which is probably the film's greatest strength i i would say this is probably one of his weaker films in terms of a structure as a documentary but it has a lot of valuable content. If you're looking at it pers- from a perspective of how can we be better as a country? How can we truly be a country that we can be proud of? Uh, how can we actually be a country that lives up to being the number one country, the best that we think we are? Then there's a lot of really helpful and interesting uh, information in this documentary. And it actually inspired me to research more in each of these countries in each of these issues and all this sort of stuff so i got a lot out of the film and i got a lot out of you know the experience of thinking about the things that this film brings up but it's not one of his best films we saw fahrenheit 11.9 recently and reviewed that right and we thought that there was like, you know, it was structurally it wasn't a great film, but there was some really interesting information yes. that's being presented and arguments that's being presented. I think that's something that you can at least find consistently in every Mario Moore film, even if the film itself is not as good as he has proven he can be. And uh, so that's where to invade next uh, from 2015. Shanna... That's everything I saw on my own. My understanding is you haven't really had much time to watch anything on your own. I haven't really watched anything this past week. It's been a very crazy week. But you and I, we saw a movie since the last episode, catching up, uh, at least attempting still, (laughs) to catch up with 2018 films. It's like a never-ending battle, guys. Yeah, we saw a film that we knew was being released around the time of the end of the year but we never saw it anywhere and it was kind of like a ghost and all of a sudden it appears on amazon i know it's so funny when that happens it's like oh look at that we get to see it now and that film was uh, karen kusama's destroyer now karen kusama is a filmmaker who's been around for a while now she got a lot of attention for her film Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez. She's done Jennifer's Body with Megan Fox and, uh, and a handful of other films. A couple of them are escaping me. I think she did The Invitation, which we really oh, enjoyed. That's a really freaking good movie. I think that's that probably That is her. a very tight movie. Yeah, I think that's probably her well best written, film. Well written, well performed. Definitely, definitely. Now, Checks all the boxes. Destroyer, however, is a different genre entirely than anything she's done before. It was kind of a crime drama. 
which follows Nicole Kidman as a kind of a hardened police detective. I think she's actually a sheriff or something like that. Um, she reconnects with people from an undercover assignment in her distant past in order to make peace. Shanna, I have a few thoughts I'm going to try to address without getting spoilery about the film, but what did you think of Destroyer? Yeah, we can't really say much without spoiling this film because of, you know, it's it's a twisty film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can't really say much. Look, I am a huge Nicole Kidman fan, and, and you're not so much. We're not getting into that. Okay. But I'm just saying, I will watch whatever she's in because mm-hmm. I like her that much. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed her in this film, but there wasn't a lot that she was doing for me to be satisfied about the film if that makes sense i think the film was more about its format more about its editing more about showing it's through the use of cinematography trying to show nicole kidman's character's uh, perspective like really literally through her eyes Hmm. and so that was very i found that very distracting hmm Okay. Do you you look a little confused as to what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm just not sure. I agree. I was not fond of it. Okay. I guess I wanted more. The trailer made it look like there was going to be a percentage of action happening, mm. and there certainly was a lack of that in this it's film. It's definitely not that kind of movie. It's a very slow-paced film, deliberately so it's not a standard or formulaic crime film yeah but which is i guess to its credit you know what is that robert redford movie the bank robbery what's that one? Oh, old man and the gun okay so old man and the gun if you compare their trailer with this trailer it's it's kind of similar i mean tonally they're very different in, in their trailers. I don't know. I see something that's very similar. Okay. Like, you know, they're both showing you the action scenes that exist. Mm. And then when it comes to the movie, like, you're thinking there's going to be more. I, in my mind, when I see, okay, the trailer shows this percentage of action, this percentage of comedy, this percentage of drama, which means that's going to be what the film's going to be. So I guess I put a lot of expectations via the trailer. And so I guess I was just disappointed. In that way. That's interesting. Because it's like I wasn't prepared for the quietness of the film. Well, for me, I don't remember the trailer that well. I maybe saw the trailer once or twice. And so I didn't have such high expectations of it being a particular way. I kind of went along the ride. I had a feeling it was going to be more a drama than anything else. I think that I had going and that she was going to be, I don't know, maybe maybe there was a little bit more of an action sent to it that I had where, you know, she looks like a hardened detective who's going to take things into her own hands kind well, of thing. Well, she's going to take fuckers down, you know? That's right, what, yeah. That's what I got from it. And... I mean, and the name definitely would lend to that, Destroyer. I've had issues with Nicole Kidman after a certain period. I thought I liked Nicole Kidman in her in the late 80s and throughout the 90s. But after a certain point, once the aughts came along, she lost her way, it seemed, uh, for a while. And it got really hard to believe 
her in her performances but recently in recent years past three or four years i feel like she's coming back like into a, a, a really strong force we've seen her in the beguiled we've seen her in big little lies and a couple other things where i think she's really been strong and this is no exception i think she gives a really strong performance she really tries to give her all in this performance and she has some great makeup work as well that really tries to show how much her character has deteriorated over time since a particular incident has happened an undercover assignment has occurred you know i'm sure it's not all makeup i'm sure she like physically got her body to that point with you know perhaps like a certain percentage of that perhaps that's my new phrase today (laughs) i guess it's very mathematical today so we can move on i just want to say that the script has a twist that i think is very thought-provoking but ultimately there's elements of the script that just don't connect they don't quite work there's a love story in it that i was I, i i i felt like i missed something like where'd this love story come from I didn't feel the connection. I didn't see the. I didn't understand how it came about in the first place. I wonder place. if something got cut. Yeah, you, you kind of get that feeling. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It doesn't land. And then there's a mother daughter, and there's an ending with the uh, mother and daughter character that it feels like it's grasping for poignancy and just like just missing it like completely. You know. <laughs> You know, how, it's not even just you, a slight miss. Right. It's like, you know how like, like way miscalculated. You, yeah, it's like you know how if you're playing tennis and you're um, the ball's coming and you're reaching for it and you just miss by like feet. You know, <laughs> that's kind of what yeah. the ending is like. I, I agree. That was very well said. Um. So there's yeah. So we're not really big fans of Destroyer. I think like it has some really great ideas. It just does not work cohesively. Uh, and Karen Kasama. I like her as a director, but I feel like The Invitation is probably the best and most successful piece of work she's ever done. Has she got another movie coming? I'm not sure. I, I also don't want to slight Girl Fight is really solid, too. Shannon, if you haven't seen Girl Fight, you should check that out, too. But anyway, let's move on. That's the end of our weekend review. Let's move on to the main event, which is the summer movie preview. So, if you're relatively new to listening to the, the Movie Lovers, what we like to do with these movie previews, these seasonal movie previews, is to go month by month. I will go through what is on the schedule for that month, no, uh, what noteworthy movies are coming out, anything by particular directors or stars, what have you, and then we'll pause on that month and talk about what films we're looking forward to. Usually there's one to three films each month that we're looking forward to, and we'll kind of discuss, you know, our excitement. Uh, So for summer, we focus on June, July, and August, those months, which seems to work out pretty well since, like, summer literally starts in June, but the summer movie season typically starts, like, Memorial Day weekend, which is right before June, and then it ends Labor Day weekend, which is right after August. So focusing on those three months works really well. So let's go and dive on in, starting with June films. Are you ready, Shanna? Yeah, let's go for it. 
All right, so June's film release schedule begins with the 7th of June. And with that weekend, we have Dark Phoenix, the latest and possibly last X-Men film from Fox. This is an adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga. I hate when they want to end after they've shown Dark Phoenix. Or Phoenix in general. They're like, okay, now we're done. And that's like just where it gets started. Now you're referring to the fact that this was this, uh, the exact same thing with X-Men The Last Stand, the original trilogy, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that was just by happenstance, even though... Whatever. I mean... They know they didn't do a good job. Like, The Last Stand made a lot of money. Like, a lot of money. More than most of the other X-Men movies. But fans hated it, and it was not critically well-reviewed. Well, it probably did well because it was number three in a trilogy. That's usually what that's usually what happens. Well, I think also X-Men 2 ended in such a way that people were really anticipating this Dark Phoenix adaptation. So a lot of the fans and such were of the movies and the comics were flocking to see Last Stand. But it is happenstance here that, yes, Dark Phoenix happens to be... It is the fourth film, by the way, not the third, in this particular set that mm-hmm. focuses on the earlier class. And they've been going decade by decade through this. Like, first class was 60s. Then we had we had Days of Future Past, which focused on the 70s. And Apocalypse, Apocalypse was in the 80s. Yeah. Now, this one will take place, I think, in 1992. If I'm not mistaken. That's quite a nice timeline, actually. That's not bad. It's not too bad. At any rate, uh, that is coming out. And that same weekend, we have Secret Life of Pets 2, which is, of course, the... Lady uh, is anticipating that one. uh, Our dog. Referring to our dog, yes. (laughs) Uh, That is an Illumination animated film. Of course, sequel to the film from a couple years ago with the same cast coming back. We have a comedy drama with Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson called Late Night that is directed by Nisha Ganatra. What is that about? According to this article from Entertainment Weekly, Mindy Kaling finds herself faced with her very own Miranda Peasley in the form of Evan Thomason's acerbic late-night talk show host, Catherine Newberry. When Catherine gives Molly the job of a lifetime in an attempt to diversify her white male writer's room, both women realize they have more in common than they initially thought. And then we also have... A film by Seth Green with his friend Breckenmeyer and Macaulay Culkin called Changeland. And The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That is a packed weekend alone. We also have the following weekend, Men in Black International. F. Gary Gray, who I believe did Straight out of Compton. He's bringing his touch to the, uh, what is it, 22-year-old franchise now? Bring in the uh, fourth film. This time it does not have Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Thank goodness. And instead is focusing on... Um, Valkyrie as, and Thor. I was going to say Asgardians, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Which is, I saw that just before we watched Endgame. I saw the trailer for it and it yeah. clicked. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they get to work together some more. This is so cool. Yeah. I want to know what that's like when yeah. actors get to work together again so quickly after working on a project previously i get the feeling they definitely enjoy working with each other that film also stars liam neeson rebecca ferguson kumail nanjiani and emma thompson then we have speaking of bringing back uh, other films shaft 
It used to be called Son of Shaft. That was the working title. This is now just called Shaft, just like the other two Shaft films uh, for whatever reason. Although there was a Shaft in Africa at one point. It was like the third Shaft film. Anyway, this is bringing three generations of the character Shaft together. So you have Sam Jackson, Richard Roundtree, and Jesse Usher is now the youngest of the family. It also stars Regina Hall, Alexandra Shipp, and Tyler's Willover. That is directed by Tim Story, who Shanna, he directed Deadpool. Then we have Jim Jarmusch's zombie comedy, The Dead Don't Die. That's what it's really like. That's if Shaggy and Scooby are in that movie. Gotcha. This stars Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Savaney, Steve Buscemi, Caleb Landry Jones, Rosie Perez, who I haven't seen in a long time, Iggy Pop, Selena Gomez, Carol Kane, and Tom Waits. Then we have Toy Story 4. Pretty self-explanatory what that is. Pixar's fourth film in the series. Child's Play is being remade or rebooted. One or the other will find out. Uh, This time starring Aubrey Plaza as the mom and Mark Hamill voicing the famous Chucky doll. Speaking of horror, Annabelle comes home. If you don't have enough horrific dolls in your life, you can check this film out. It uh, Hilarious that they open on the same weekend. Toy the, Story actually, four. they're a week apart. Oh, they're a week apart. They're a week okay. apart. That's a good point. This is the last they're weekend. They're catching everybody that hates Toy Story. And <laughs> yeah, right. And Child's Play. Oh, yeah. So this is the last weekend of June. Annabelle comes home. Then we have Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis uniting for a musical comedy called yesterday which is about a man who wakes up and realizes the rest of the world has never heard of the beatles or any of their songs and when he starts playing their songs he suddenly becomes a genius in their in the public's eye then we have a drama a i think a period drama called ophelia starring daisy ridley as the title character with naomi watts clive owen Tom Felton from the Harry Potter series. That's a pretty cool cast right there. Not too bad. And lastly, 47 Meters Down, Uncaged. Because I think anybody who saw 47 Meters Down just could not wait to have a sequel to that. Not. (laughs) Uh, This one stars John Corbett and Nia Long. I'm sure sharks get hungry. Sharks probably get to eat. There's probably cages involved. I just think it's a load of shit. <laughs> just like, seriously. So I'm guessing then, Shanna, that is not one of the films you're most looking forward to in June. What are you looking forward to most in June? What I'm looking forward to is, of course, Dark Phoenix. I am a huge X-Men fan. It was my first superhero interaction. My first superhero interaction was not Superman. It was not Batman. It was the X-Men. And... We just saw the latest trailer when we watched Endgame and I'm even more pumped about watching it because I'm like, oh my God, they're giving her, they're giving Phoenix so much power and they're visually representing it just like in the comic, but move, you know, cinematic in it up, if that's a word. Um, The effects look like they're going to be really good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even 
even care about the effects. I'm like, just like get the story, she, get the story right. She you know? does look good, like as opposed yeah. to how she's been depicted before. She does yeah, look I good. hate the whole black eyes thing. That's for horror films, guys. Well, Phoenix is fire, not black eyes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in my two cents because this is actually the film I'm looking forward to probably the most. Well, hang on now. I was not finished with my excitement. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> it's like, I know that everyone's performance is going to be great because mm. I know they have a stellar cast. And mm. I know that, you know, you can tell with their performances that they care about the characters. So mm-hmm. I feel like that box is checked. I feel like visual effects is, you know, pretty much checked. I'm just worried about the story. That's sure. the only thing I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, my fingers are crossed. I'm very hopeful. There's been... And I think they're delayed because they were delayed a year. Yeah, there's been... I think that that's helpful to them. In this case, maybe because what I'm I'm trying to say is there's been a lot of reports that of what's caused that delay is they've had to make a lot of fixes to the film after doing test audiences and having a lot of negative feedback. Good for them for doing test audiences. Yeah, I'm, I am totally cool waiting. Yeah, you know? I, I, it just worries me. As I'm, I'm hopeful that for once we'll get a good Dark Phoenix story on film. I would hate for a second time to be blown. Mm. But uh, it, you know, so my fingers are crossed. But it is probably the mo- the film I'm most looking forward to in June. So and and and. I have a particular issue that I have voiced that I will hold off till our review of Dark Phoenix. Oh, okay. I think we may have a review of it. I'm not sure. Uh, to to talk a little bit more, and it sounds like they fixed my issue uh, pretty quickly, as indicated huh. in the trailers. So well, now I don't remember what the issue was. We'll talk off mic about it. All but right. what what other movies are you looking forward to? Uh, Toy Story Four. I am a huge mm. Toy Story fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the second one makes me ball like a freaking baby mm. with that damn song that's Mm. like just so good number three is definitely my favorite and i you know i'm looking at the trailer i'm piecing things together i'm looking at the trailer the other trailer the teaser trailer the posters (laughs) i'm looking at the merchandise and from all those clues that i'm getting as a consumer i'm like i don't know if this will be my favorite because number three has a special place in my heart Mm. but I will watch whatever they make, you know, and whatever toys, uh, whatever toys, whatever Toy Story makes, wherever the toys are, wherever the toys are, I will watch it. Whether it's the the ten minute, Potisaurus Rex short, whether it's Mm -hmm. you know the the horror thing that's I think thirty minutes or the Dino thing where yeah 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 you know I'll watch all of them. I'll collect all of them. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Mm Man, I don't know how long that craft is going to last, you know? Hmm? There's a little craft that she makes, the oh. sporky or forky. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know how long that's going to last. There's no mm. glue gun involved. There's going to be tears. There's bound to be tears. So, <laughs> and I know what it's like to have, like, a toy break, um, yeah. whether it's a craft or not. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be tear-jerking moments. I'm pretty sure there's going to be you know, highly relatable childhood stuff happening, you know, when you have a toy, a relationship with your toy, you know, we haven't left the house for very long with the toys. And every time we have left, it's been for very specific missions, Mm. but this is a vacation. Okay. So, and it's a vacation. Like it looks like at a carnival near Mm. a carnival. So I'm very curious what kind of tone we're going to have compared to the others. So I, I'm very, I'm very excited. 
I just hope they don't run into the ground. Toy Story 3 ended things perfectly. It already um, did, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Was there anything else from June that you're excited about? No, just those two I'm super, super pumped about. I have two other movies cool. I'd like to quickly speak to that I'm excited about. Jim Jarmusch's zombie comedy, The Dead Don't Die, sounds really cool. I mean, it has a great cast. I, I've seen several of his movies over the past 30 years. He's not one of my favorite directors, just stylistically and stuff, but I've always appreciated his work. And Only Lovers Left Alive, when he tackled vampire genre, that ended up being one of your favorite movies. So I'm curious to see what he does tackling something out of the box for him, like zombies too, Mm -hmm. especially with that cast. And then also... Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis teaming up and with the Beatles music? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. I, I'm very, very interested in yesterday. Mm-hmm. So let's look at July, shall we? That's really funny because you've got something that's tackling Beatle music and then there's something tackling Bruce Springsteen music. We'll get to that. Yeah. So first of all, though... Very interesting themes. In July, we have... Starting off with the holiday weekend, Spider-Man Far From Home, the end of Phase 3 with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, that's going to be what ends it? Yes, I have mentioned oh, this no. before. Sorry, it's been sinking. It's been having a hard time sinking in. <laughs> okay, that now makes sense to me why there's no announcements about anything in the future. Mm. Thank you. And then we have from the maker of last year's hit Hereditary, we have a film called Midsommar that's also a horror film. And from what I understand, it's about a couple who uh, goes to visit a friend who's part of some sort of a commune or cult. And maybe like the way thing these, this cult does things is more unsettling than it should be. You think? <laughs> so that's, uh, Shannon, you'll be excited. That's by A24, by the way. That's the studio. Oh, I do that. like A24. So uh, that's that. And then following week, we have an action comedy called Stuber, starring Kumail Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. As I understand it, Dave Bautista is a guy who hijacks or commandeers Kumail's Uber uh, drive and uh, hilarity ensues. That also stars Mira Sorvino and Karen Gillan. We have a horror thriller by Alexandra Aja, who is a very familiar name. I, do you know who Alexandra Aja is, Shanna? I do not recall. Well, that would be because you're not too much of a horror film buff. He's done a lot of films. He's done a remake of The Hills Have Eyes. He did Piranha 3D, which is outrageous fun. And he did a film with Daniel Radcliffe called Horns. So he has a film called Crawl coming out with Barry Pepper... And that is about a young woman who becomes trapped in a flooding house during a hurricane and must battle against Florida's most savage and feared predator. Hmm. Hmm. So then we also have 21 Bridges, which we've seen trailers for. That stars Chadwick Boseman and J.K. Simmons and Sierra Miller, Sienna Miller, sorry, and Taylor Kish. Then the big release in the middle of July is Disney's remake of The Lion King with an all-star cast, returning voice of James Earl Jones, directed by John Favreau, who had a moderate success with The Jungle Book a few years ago. We have ending the month 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, Emile Hirsch, Bruce Dern, Scoot McNary, Dakota Fanning, Lena Dunham, and Luke Perry. I did not know Luke Perry was in the film. So if you are not familiar, this film is set in 1969 Los Angeles. It's about a TV actor and his stunt double as they make their way through a changing film industry. Oh, and by the way, his neighbor just so happens to be Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, days before the Manson killings. Oh, I'm very interested in that. Well, we'll talk about that then. Yeah. Wish Dragon, uh, starring Jackie Chan and Constance Wu, also comes out that weekend. And then we have Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Someone took that Funny or Die clip a little seriously and made a movie out of that. Do you remember that? Man, that looked that. so freaking good. So this is directed by James <laughs> Bobbin, who I believe did The Muppets uh, at the beginning of the decade. Also, uh, it was co-written by Nicholas Stoller and stars Michael Pena and Eva Longoria, Longoria, Danny Trejo, and Benicio Del Toro. So, Shanna, what are you looking forward to in July? For July, I'm looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. Hello. Mm -hmm. We have missed you. Yes. Please come back for more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will watch anything that he makes, and the talent in this looks pretty good, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to be satisfied. And then my second one is Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I never watched Dora, even with all the kids that I've looked after over the past seven years, mm. but I was definitely a fan of the interaction that the show was doing, Okay, and I thought that that was really really interesting and i liked how it encouraged kids to shout back at the tv you know mm -hmm. i thought that that was you know just to see their excitement was really fun for me from what i've read you'll like this movie because it play plays on that a little bit what that's gonna be so freaking cool yeah. <laughs> so that was my first show that i was exposed to that did that kind of interaction so mm -hmm. let's be honest i mean it looks like they spared no expense <laughs> with their visual effects everything looks really good mm-hmm mm-hmm Anything else? Nope, that's it. Yeah, so for me, I'll go back to the film you brought up, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, in general, I love Quentin Tarantino. He's got a great cast also here, as he normally does. I'm intrigued about the premise. I'm hopeful that this will be the Tarantino I love. I haven't been a huge fan oh. Of mo of his work this decade, the hateful like, eight. Like I liked Django Unchained. Yeah, I liked. It's it been too. a long time since I've seen it, but I liked it. I'm not sure if I loved Django Unchained, and I certainly was not a huge fan of the hateful eight. I was like, mm -hmm. I thought that was at least a half an hour longer than it needed to be. I, it was dragging on forever for me. That's probably near the bottom of the, of, the, of the list of Tarantino films from me. Not a huge fan of that film. So I'm really hoping Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will kind of bring him back. You know, uh, and, and, you know, I think it'll be his second. It's supposed to be. We'll see. His second to last film. You know, because he's always said this, film, this plan of, I'm going to make ten films and that's it. You know? And this, and is, this his is his ninth tenth? film. Oh, okay. So 
Man. So there's that. And then the other film, and there's not a lot in July I'm actually looking forward to. The only other film I'm actually looking forward to is, of course, Spider-Man Far From Home. Because after watching Endgame, how can I not be excited about that? Plus, it looks like, I mean, Mysterio looks like Mysterio on the page. Mm. So I'm kind of curious how they're going to play that character. And I'm curious where how this movie fits into the post-release of Endgame, you know? Does it take place after Endgame? Whatever it is, you know? I'm curious how it's going to fit into the puzzle. Uh, so Well, I hope they I hope they weave that through. We will find out, yeah, won't we? It will be nice. Uh, so let's look at August, the last month of the summer. It starts off, of course, August is always a crapshoot. So we, we, we start off with Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Starring Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that was very nice. <laughs> Jason Statham, Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby from the last James Bond, or not James Bond, Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible Fallout. She was in that, I believe. Yeah, and Helen Mirren, apparently. Is. So basically, Idris Elba is the bad guy. He's cybernetically enhanced. So, yeah, and only, only Hobbs and Shaw can take him down. So there's that. Then there's The Kitchen, which is... Written and directed by Andrea Burloff. I think it's a it's a directorial debut. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss, Don Hall Gleason, James Badge Dale, Brian Darcy James, Margot Martindale, Common, and, uh, and Common. It's a huge cast. It is actually, you'd think with it being Melissa McCarthy, it's going to be a comedy, but it's actually a crime drama. It, it's about the wives of Irish mobsters who take over organized crime operations in a 1970s New York City neighborhood. So then we have that same weekend, Scary Toy- Stories to Tell in the Dark, produced by Guillermo del Toro. It sounded like you said Scary Toy Stories. Yeah, no. <laughs> scary Stories. There might be some of that in there, but I don't know. Uh, based, on, of course, on the, the children's horror series, then you have uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Richard Linklater's latest film. It's an adaptation of a novel. And it looks like that's happening in Seattle. Oh, does it take if place you, there? If you look at the trailers, it looks like it's in Seattle. Okay, I have not uh, come across that. That's interesting. But it stars Kate Blanchett, Billy Crudup, Kristen Wiig, Judy Greer, and Lawrence Fishburne. Then we have Blinded by the Light, the latest film by Gorinda Chada, who Shannon and I love. Uh, that is a film about, what is that about? Blinded by Light tells the story of Javid, a British teen of Pakistani descent growing up in the town of Luton, England in 1987. Amidst the racial and economic turmoils of the times, he writes poetry as a means to escape the intolerance of his hometown and the inflexibility of his traditional father. But when a classmate introduces him to the music of The Boss... Javid sees parallels to his working class life in Spring Teen's powerful lyrics. So that's uh, Grunachada's latest film. The following weekend, we have The Angry Birds Movie 2, which I think should just be called The Angry Birds Sequel, but whatever. Same cast as the previous movie, coming back, plus a few people. The Good Boys with Jacob Tremblay is a comedy, I think... It's about sixth graders who try to impress girls and upperclassmen by skipping school and attending parties. So that's Jacob Tremblay starting to grow up a little bit more. Then you have The Informer, which stars Joel Kinnaman, Clive Owen, Rosamund Pike, Anna de Armas, and Common. I think Common's having a big summer. Uh, This is directed by Andrea Stefano. 
basically about a man who's coming up against the FBI, the CIA, the mob, uh, all to protect his family, more or less. It's uh, an adaptation of a book called Three Seconds. Then we have, I didn't know I would ever say this, the third film in the Has Fallen trilogy <laughs> that started with Olympus Has Fallen, Angel Has Fallen, also starring Gerard Butler once again and Morgan Freeman. This time, Gerard Butler's character is on the run because he's being blamed for the terrorist attacks that's happening. Because you have to circle back, apparently. Oh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Official Secrets, directed by Gavin Hood, who is known for Salt Sea and unfortunately for X-Men Origins Wolverine. Poor dude. He has a very British drama coming out with Kira Knightley, Matt Smith, Matthew Good, and Rafe Fiennes and Reese Effons. Then we have Overcomer, perhaps the most unfortunately named spiritual film to come to theaters. If I remember correctly, it is about like a football team or something. And oh, it's a basketball coach whose state championship dreams vanish when he receives some unexpected news. What that news is and how he overcomes is obviously the uh, the tension of that film. Lastly, lastly, Shanna, the last film come out this summer is Playmobil the movie. Anya Taylor-Joy plays a sister who must go into the animated Playmobil world to retrieve her little brother. So, Shannon, out of all that, what are you looking forward to most? I'm interested in the Playmobil um, advert, (laughs) the Playmobil movie. Really? Well, just for comparison purposes, really. I want to compare it to Toy Story. I want to compare it to the Lego movie. I mean, Lego Movie did something really special, so I'm curious if they're going to one-up or try to match Lego Movie or Toy Story. Yeah, we'll see. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm excited about The Kitchen, just all that talent alone, and I haven't seen a gang movie for a long time. I know The Widows kind of counts. Widows, yeah. Similar premise. Didn't you say Irish Mafia? Something like that, yeah. So it's different. Like, I haven't seen a Mafia movie for a while. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited about it, too, because of Mm -hmm. that cast. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of promise there. I think that it'll be tough to avoid comparisons to Widows, though, when the movie comes out. I don't know. We'll see when we see the movie. So when I was younger, I watched Bella Mafia, and that had a lot of really cool female talents. And, you you know, what ends up happening is the Bellas take over, you know, because that's what they're forced to do. And I found it so interesting, you know, like what would happen in something so male-dominated? What would happen if it became female-dominated? And how would... You know how would things go? Yeah, and what would they? What challenges would they face? So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm totally down for that one too. What else are you looking forward to in August? I'm looking forward to Blinded by the Light. Yeah, me too. I, because Gorinda Chada. Yep. And I, you know, we're huge fans of her, and you know, it's that it's that awesome formula that she's really good at, mm-hmm. where it's I'm the son i'm you know i'm the kid the first citizen of this new country that my parents have immigrated to Mm. so that they could give me a good life but i love xyz and they would prefer if i loved abc Mm -hmm. and i want to love and respect them but i also need to be my own person 
kind of formula. So I really like how she does that. I think she's very good at it. And I think we all face that in some way, especially especially children who, you know, of the, you know, are first generation in a new country, especially a Western country, Westernized. See, for me, you take Grand Chata, you take Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I'm intrigued. You know, it is two so, favorites for you. Yeah, I'm totally down. Like I've seen five of her films. We've missed the last two of hers. A film called It's a Wonderful Afterlife, and then an adaptation of Viceroy's House, which is sitting on our Netflix My List forever. Well, you should have just said it's Gorinda Chada, and I would yeah. have been like, let's watch it. We're, we, so we haven't caught up with those, but I've seen most of her films, and we've talked a lot about her in the podcast before, last year particularly. So, yeah, I'm totally down. Baji on the Beach, her debut, you're a big fan of. I love that film. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm totally down for whatever she's... I'll pick up whatever she's putting down, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of that that I've just... You know, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I will do that for two directors that are coming out this summer with a film. So, Mm -hmm. Quentin and then Garinda. And then I'll do it for two franchises, X-Men and Toy Story. So, Mm -hmm. I find that interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting that, you know, you've got this... The, the film that's focusing on a world without Beatles music and then a world where Bruce Springsteen is the inspiration. Yeah, and you also have an Elton John biopic oh, coming right. out at the end of this month or, yeah. or something too. Yeah, that's before true. Before the summer hits as well. Isn't that so interesting? Mm. Like, okay, so there's like this trend of, sure, you've got a couple sequels because yeah. why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I know Bohemian Rhapsody is going to be blamed for all this, but in all honesty and practicality, like these movies clearly have been in development before Bohemian Rhapsody came out. It's not and it's just like blame. there happened to be release schedules to yeah. Anyway. So those are what we're looking forward to this summer. What are you looking forward to most this summer? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Let's get right into the final segment. Segment I've been looking forward to. <laughs> film faves. Film Faves is inspired by a article I used to do, a piece on the Gibson Review, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Partially, the goal is to give you an idea of what kind of movies we, what kind of tastes we have, right? But also to helpfully expose you to films you haven't seen or heard of before. So to that end, what we try to do is point you in the direction of where these movies are available to stream, when they are available to stream particularly on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. So, And we will do that during the course of this segment. Often we are marching backwards through time. We started out, I think, with like 2016, and, and uh, now we're in the 80s. But with this episode, we're doing something different that we've been doing the past few months, which is in correspondence with an article that... Uh, a series of articles that I encourage you to check out at the Gibson Review where I am going through and counting down the best films of the decade, genre by genre, leading up to an overall massive 100 best of list article. Uh, we are doing a corresponding article month by month. So this month it's about documentaries. So check out that article. It should be published by the time this episode airs. Uh, I'll link that to the show notes. But this episode is about documentaries, our favorite documentaries of the decade, which has been very interesting, I think, Shanna, wouldn't you say? I've enjoyed this. I What was our previous theme? 
foreign films. Oh, okay. So I enjoyed that too, but after a certain point, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep reading subtitles. I love reading subtitles. I do it for even English stuff. But I really enjoy doing the documentaries because I feel like documentaries are this platform from which a creator shows us an issue of absolutely anything you can think of, really. Sometimes these are like oldest time themes such as racism or, you know, something new such as spy monitoring. Historical events during the decade. Yeah, historical. And then sometimes the creator is the voice of the film, such as, you know, Michael Moore, versus following the actual person that the events are happening to. Mm. And sometimes the creator chooses chooses to tell the story in a way that keeps us on the edge of our seat, which I wasn't used to until watching Searching for Sugar Man. Mm. And then we started finding more like that. So It's interesting that you say that. I actually wrote about this in the article. I Mm -hmm. call these journey docs where it's all about the journey and you kind of go in blind and kind of go along for the ride because pieces of information are revealed slowly during the course of the film, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, you say Searching for Sugar Man was the first one for you. That was in 2012. For me, it was Dear Zachary from like 2007, 2008, something like that. Okay. Where it's a film you went on cold and it was definitely about this journey that kind of, this this onion that kind of unpeeled and unraveled and it became the most devastating thing I've ever seen, you know, at that point, you know. That was the first journey doc I remember seeing, you know, in this, in this very kind of, mainstream pop doc kind of era that's mm-hmm. happened since like Michael Moore and Bowling for Columbine in 2003. Catfish was probably the first journey oh, yeah. doc of the decade mm-hmm. from 2010. And so I, I noticed a, a lot of those and, and that that's, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I don't know about you and maybe we'll see the elements of this in your list, but I also noticed another type of documentary that came up a lot, which is profile docs where they're about a particular uh, person and, or their like work. Fred Rogers or Fred Rogers, Gilda Radner, Quincy Jones, Whitney Houston, Gilbert Gottfried. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch. Amy Winehouse. There's a whole bunch of profile docs out there, too. And sometimes those go well, and mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. And I right. feel like with that category, it's 50-50, mm. honestly. Maybe 60-40, I don't know, but... I haven't seen one that I thought was bad, but there's definitely, like, it's a rare film that takes the material and elevates it to another level beyond the subject. I know that I don't like that category when they make the film after the person has died. We've talked about that. Whether it's because of their own doing to Uh themselves or something just awful happened, you know? Especially if they don't have enough footage of the person being truthful about where they are in their life at that time. Because I know that, you know, if they're 21, this is how they're going to feel. If they're 35, this is how they're going to feel. If they're still addicted to drugs, this is how they're going to be. And once they're recovered from drugs for like 10 years, this is how they're going to be. And I find that stuff really interesting. Yeah. And if I find it especially valuable, if I can hear them how they are now Mm -hmm. and that's what i like about the lady gaga film is she's in control and i have no problem with that because Mm. she wants to speak to her people and i find that i appreciate that because Mm. she wants to have a connection with her fans Mm -hmm. i mean i i think she's pretty authentic in the way she's speaking during the documentary and sharing what Mm. she's sharing 
as opposed to you know Whitney Houston's one just angers me to no end because we don't really get to hear from her Hmm. I feel comparatively that's interesting that's interesting uh I also feel that way about Kurt Cobain's documentary which I never got to see that was one of my things that I did get to catch up on um uh Kurt Cobain montage of heck also didn't get to catch up with I thought this came out this decade he named me Malala I thought it came out this decade and also the unknown known which was about Rumsfeld Donald Rumsfeld didn't get to catch up with that or uh, there was another one that was narrated by Matt Damon. What was that called? The not the in, is it called the Inside Job? I think it's called the Inside Job. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to catch up with that. Those are some of the most highly recommended docs. I caught up with like over sixty documentaries, but I didn't catch up with those. Were there any that you were really hoping to nail down? I was hoping to do He Named Me Malala, but that didn't work out. I I was hoping to do. Her name is escaping me now, but she worked with gorillas for the longest time. I think she still does. What is her name? Oh, uh, you're not talking about Diane Fossey, but you're talking about Jane. Jane Goodall yeah, I w- worked with uh, chimpanzees. Oh, sorry, chimpanzees. So yeah. I would have, I would have liked to have seen that too. Mm-hmm. There's probably others that I would have liked to have seen. Here's the thing. What's really cool about right now is there's so many great documentaries out there, whether they're yeah. short film or full-length movies so there's so much to learn about so much to see Mm -hmm. you know there's so much that i want to take in because i'm like oh this is so useful whenever i watch a documentary i'm like i have a new perspective and it doesn't necessarily mean i'm in support of whatever was just shown to me Mm -hmm. but it at least opens my mind a little bit more and really nurtures compassion in people and a really great documentary can do that. Now, it's interesting, though. Uh, documentary is a little bit different where it can be about a subject or a person that we can be very passionate about can, who can uh, naturally appeal to us. But that's different from whether or not the film was a very good documentary, right? And so it's a little bit different looking at documentaries in that sense, I feel like, because you have to kind of kind of take a step back and look at it yeah. objectively. Like, okay, well, was it... Was it that I love what Ruth Bader Ginsburg stands for? Or was the film handling the subject matter in a particular way that actually made it a superior film? You know, You know, I really liked, if I compare Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Gloria Allred's documentary, mm-hmm. I really preferred Gloria Allred. I, I love both of those women. But I really preferred Gloria Allred's hmm. documentary because I, I don't know, something about it had a little extra spice. It, mm-hmm. it showed more of what she was currently working on at the time of it. And mm-hmm. where, I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like the other was lacking something, mm. you know. So sometimes I feel like they miss. They miss the bar when it's about someone. So before we dive on in, one last thing it's important to note. You noticed, you mentioned uh, that there's so much out there. It, the, the documentary has been popularized over the course of this de- decade, partially because streaming platforms have started producing documentaries, and there's a plethora or of them out there. Them. Right. Either yeah. way, uh, it's important for us to note that we've only been taking a look at 
documentaries that have had theatrical releases. So we're not looking at documentaries that played at a festival and immediately went to streaming. We're not looking at documentaries that went immediately to HBO or to Netflix. Although HBO is so great at documentaries. Nothing against them at all. Not, so amazing. Not sliding them, but we are looking at, we are a movie podcast. We're looking at theatrical releases. So, Shanna, with that, A, do you want to notice any trends or any years in particular that stood out to you with great documentaries? Kind of segue into your number 12 favorite documentary of the decade. I noticed that at least with my list, there's definitely a leaning towards like journey documentaries with a couple profile documentaries. Oh, very cool. And then, you know, I guess there's an entertaining factor about that. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them are kind of like, well, I didn't know about XYZ topic. And now I know because of this documentary. Cool. Because sometimes it's, it's very difficult for me to process information that's written out. I learn better with audio and visual. So. Very cool. Uh, oh, I think my favorite year was maybe 2014 and 2016. Oh, interesting. I think. I interesting. think. Yeah. That's very interesting because actually I don't think I have more than one film from 2014. I didn't have anything from 2017. But uh, I noticed 2018 might be my favorite year of documentaries. There was a lot that we talked about that came out in 2018 documentary-wise. But but what is your number 12? Well, let me just say before I start that sometimes I don't talk about the actual subject matter of the film. I'm just like, you should watch this film because of XYZ experience. Okay. Uh, because I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, fair enough, absolutely. So Minding the Gap is my number 12. Oh, no kidding. And that's from 2018? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have always disliked skateboarding and anyone that skateboards because I'm like, oh, they're just another breed of people. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just this this subculture that I just didn't get, you know, and I was never exposed to it in any way. But when you watch Minding the Gap, you learn to appreciate skateboarders and skateboarding within like, I don't know, five minutes, five seconds. It doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really matter. You, you learn to appreciate them in the first few minutes of the film. And then you realize that it's, that's not just the thing these three boys and later men have in common because that's the single, that's the first thread that you see. Mm-hmm. And then you start to realize other things. This film is made by a kid. He starts off as a kid. You're growing up with this kid making this documentary. Mm-hmm. And... He continues to make it as he grows into a man and he's using the documentary as a way to heal from the past and showing more than his own story, but his two friends' stories as well. We see toxic masculinity and how it can be dealt with. It also shows the pressure of male toxicity Mm. because I think we forget about that. We forget that there is a pressure for boys to behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just girls behaving in a certain way. There's also expectations on boys and we forget about that Mm -hmm. because it's not in our face as much. And this documentary needs to be watched if you have boys in your life so that you can learn to address those things and talk about those things you know, those issues. So that's what that documentary does really well is it opens that up for discussion and that's available to stream on Hulu. Fantastic. And that was one that you were kind of resistant to Oh see. my gosh, so resistant. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad that we did it. So number 12 was a top tough spot for me because I feel like there was a lot of films I, I really liked that could have taken the spot. And so what ended up taking the spot 
was a film I thought was one of the most interesting of the candidates. It is called Wiener from 2016. It's about Anthony Wiener shot during the time when he was trying to be a comeback kid. He had a scandal already and he was trying to make a second chance go at being mayor of New York City. Now, prior to his scandal, this guy was scorched earth as far as like what the Senate floor looked like when he was on there. He was taking no prisoners and and making, you know, making no apologies for any of the actions of the Republicans. Right. So he he essentially was like uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez almost 10 years ago. Right. And then he blew it. He totally blew it. And, and this film doesn't make any apologies. It doesn't make any excuses for his actions whatsoever. It just documents it. And then it's revealed, oh, crap, during the filming, there's another incident that pops up. <laughs> because now, why not? Now, the one thing is that this film definitely gets across. There is no nuance in reporting these days, particularly of scandal. And one of his frustrations he expresses is, God, you know, I wish there was a little more nuance because there's there's more to these stories than what's reported. Well, this film definitely gives that because not only do you get your what you would expect about a scandal, but you also get to see like how it affects the people who work for Anthony Weiner, who's been supporting him, who who maybe are married to Anthony Weiner. You know, you know, you have you have these these people who have to make these campaign calls trying to get support what are they supposed to say when something comes up that is like not acceptable yeah <laughs> you know it's well said but it also shows uh, how the media just you know you know this is a guy who he wanted to just talk about issues things that actually affect other people's lives mm-hmm. and all the media wanted to do was ask him about his scandal in in one way or another they weren't actually interested ever in speaking to the issues he was trying to bring about that could affect the community as a whole right he literally there's literally a moment where he says anybody want to ask a question on topic no hands go up anybody want to ask a question off topic immediately all these hands go up right So it's very illustrative of how frustrating the media can be, too, in perpetuating some of these problems with scandals, too. Um, And then also you get you get a little bit of how people will take advantage and try to exploit a scandal, too. Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah. So it's really, really fascinating film. You get a lot of nuance, a lot of different angles uh, following this guy around and the problems that he has. It's also nice to see him break Mm -hmm. from all that tormenting mm-hmm. you know it, it makes sense eventually you're gonna give yeah yeah and well and that's the other thing actually because he doesn't for a while right a lot of people expect him to break and the dude is so smart and so well spoken that he's able to turn an entire crowd around you know toward his his favor right and and kind of support him think you know what you know he made some really excellent points so uh he's a really he, he's i think politics like modern day politics biggest not tragedy, but uh, missed opportunity. You know, if he wasn't mm-hmm. such a doofus, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, if he um, wasn't such an idiot, he'd actually do a lot of good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it's fascinating. So it's, re- it's actually a really sad movie. <laughs> yeah. So that's Wiener. That I've, I've talked enough about it. It's on Hulu. It's my 12th favorite documentary. 
My number 11 is Exit Through the Gift Shop from 2010. Oh, very cool. Oh, is it your... No, but it's oh, a okay. great film. All right. After watching this film, we had a very heated discussion yeah. and it almost came to tears. I did not so expect it that. It was like... It was a very interesting experience. Yes. The, you know, there's so much hard work involved in being an artist, never mind a street artist, which is technically legal, technically illegal. There's like this gray zone for them. You know, I was aware of this kind of artwork, uh, this medium, but not what it took and who it was by. They do a great job showing what is involved with that you know it's late hours you have to go out at night and you have to do it like that and yeah it's scary man and then you might get arrested for a bit so this is a film that honors that bravery required for being part of that medium uh there is of course a catch and you get to go on that ride about 30 minutes into the film Mm -hmm. and you get to enjoy what it's like really working with artists or being with artists Guys, it is full of bitterness. It is full of resentment. And, uh, you know, there's betrayal, whether it's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. It's it's so common. And, ah, oh, it's like, it's why artists are usually alone mm. um, and not very social mm. uh, or very, you know, bitter. And it also goes into, you know, timing is everything with art. Mm. It's either your time or it's not your time. I, what I thought was fascinating about that film is also how it questions the validity of modern art and, and hype as well. Fascinating film. That was one that I really thought you should check out, and I'm glad that it ended up on your list. That's awesome. My number 11 is a Steve James film from 2011. It's called The Interrupters. That made your list. That's so exciting. I forgot to work it in, so ah, I'm excited that it's on your list. Good, yes. It's be- so great. I'm I appreciate the appreciation because I feel like it is a film that people need to know about and check out. And it's like a dollar on Amazon. You know, a lot of these, it's the only To own one, it, right? To own it or rent it. Yeah. By the way. And by the way, I will say like, this is the first time I've had a list in a long time where most of my movies are available to stream on the platforms we, we talk about. This one is one of the only ones that's not, but it's a dollar for crying out loud to mm-hmm. rent or own. And at any rate, it's a Steve James observing a organization in a, a neighborhood in Chicago whose role is to uh, try to stop violence from happening. They go into disputes mm-hmm. among gang members or pe- you know what have you, people who are troubled youth or whatever, and they really try to work on their skills of how to avoid conflict, how to avoid confrontation, how to deal with situations in other ways other than what leads to violence. And it's a fascinating documentary. You you have real-life superheroes oh my gosh, yeah. depicted in this uh, film. And you know what? You know, like What's real brilliant about it is these people who are going out there and doing it, they're not like white people or people who haven't lived this. They are actually people who were these kids at one point. They went to prison at one point. You know, They've turned around. They want to make a difference in their community and prevent their story from happening again, right? Or these people living maybe you know living worse lives or dying you know or mm. or being the cause of some random person minding their own business and their house dying because of collateral you know damage through shooting or whatever it also points out that contrary to what the media says a lot of gain quote unquote gain violence is actually not through firearms 
You know, a lot of people die through other means, be it like random objects being used as weapons or knives or other things, too. Uh, and I found that really mm. kind of a, a fascinating little wrinkle in it. But these people, you know, they, they, they go into potentially dangerous situations. Not all of them come out unharmed. They're trained to try to learn when to step away and when to dis- de-escalate. But as a fascinating film, I think we need more people like the people we see in The Interrupters. And Steve James, very wisely, he doesn't comment. He doesn't interview directly. Like, you don't hear him. He's not a presence in the film. He just observes. And I think especially more white people need to just shut up and observe and yeah. learn. Yeah. So that's The Interrupters from 2011, my number 11 favorite documentary of the decade. I think that's the perfect example. If you were to make a list of the real superheroes that exist, that's like at the top. Awesome. My number 10 is Three Identical Strangers from 2018, available on Hulu. Very cool. Three adults, triplets, separated at birth. Why? How? You find out in this film. It's another mystery ride, and it's heartbreaking and joyful. It, you go through all the emotions in this film. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. That's, that's like, you couldn't make up. What? You can't make the shit up. Right. And and the truth that gets revealed is like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. And just just boggles your mind. Yeah. It's one of those where yeah. it's like, how? How? Right. You know? Right. So I it's like it's like the real version of what is that called? Parent trap? Or something like that. I, like, I messed up totally crazy version of yeah. parent trap. Like, yeah. If it were to happen in the real world, this is what it would look it's, like. It's, yeah, it's, anyway, that's an awesome pick. That's an awesome pick. And I, I will respect your choice to not say much about that. My number 10, however, is Amy from 2015. Oh, yay. Available on Netflix is about Amy Winehouse. And boy, this thing hit me hard back when it came out and there was it was a huge sensation as far as documentaries go in 2015 because what it depicts through a lot of video footage and of course you know amy winehouse was coming up in the time of the rise of social media and celebrity coverage being what it was already at that point in britain particularly i think they're worse in britain oh that's interesting. i really feel that way that's really interesting uh so anyway there's there's plenty of footage to draw from to depict amy winehouse from her teen years all the way into till her death man that's um, like the heartbreaking one it is absolutely heartbreaking because you see you get to witness Someone with immense amount of talent, which if you ever questioned her talent or if she was all that in a bag of chips, you know, looking back, watch this film and you you will not question it. But you see someone with so much immense talent, like a legend in the making, completely just get slowly taken away from us because of choices of and, and coercion of people around her mm-hmm. that were not in her best interest Mm. Uh, so that is a very powerful profile doc and one of the best profile docs of the of the decade amy 2015 netflix my number nine is tickled no kidding (laughs) from 2016 oh yeah journey doc that's a journey doc it's it's available on hulu i wanted to say first messed up blood curdling boiling mystery 
that is totally worth watching. If you have not been exposed to a journey documentary film, I highly recommend Tickled. Mm. Again, like, whoa, what? <laughs> and So you can say the basic premise, introductory, okay. which is basically that it's about a tickle, tickle sport, tickle endurance sport, sure. right? And the world of that. And it's not what you expect. Well, I think it's important to also express, you know, it's it's kind of also showing you the online world is not all it seems. Mm. If you weren't aware of that concept yet, go ahead and watch this and you'll be reminded. I am so proud to see that on your list. That blew my mind too, uh, but it didn't, it didn't quite make my list. But what did in my number nine spot was a film that has always stuck with me for whatever reason since the year 2012 when I saw it. It is The Queen of Versailles. Really? That made your list? It did. It that is... is fascinating. I want to know why. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> that you have such a strong reaction. It's available on Hulu, so anybody else can check it out. This is about the a family who... They have a fortune, they have an empire built around timeshares, and they are one of the richest families in America. They live in Florida, and they're in the process of building the biggest home in America. And it's like modeled after the Versailles in France, uh, the, the the Palace of Versailles in France. and It's really the it, ultimate dream home. It has, it's, it's absolutely insane. When you hear about the layout, when you hear the square footage, I can't even remember how much the square footage is. It's like 200,000 square feet or some ridiculous thing, you know. But really, what it's less about that property and more about this family who just lives in, in excess, right? And um, you, you get interviewed, interviews from each member of the family, including the matriarch, but especially the, uh, sorry, including the patriarch, but especially the matriarch, who is this woman who, if I remember correctly, was in Miss America in the 80s, and she just got swept away by this guy who had a couple of wives before that, and he's significantly older than her. He owns this huge thing. He's met all these celebrities. He knows Donald Trump. So all the judgmental things that exist currently are in this film. It's, it came out in 2012, which is, you have to remember, a post-recession era. Yeah, right? that's a good point. When most Americans were still kind of dealing with that's the... That's four years after the recession, the recession hit. Right? And it's, you know, yeah. obviously taking place during that time period, right? And, and to witness an American family, it is, it is everything that is stereotypical about American excess is in this film. Yeah, if you ever and weren't sure of what that looks like, this is a good... It's a fascinating film. It's always stuck with me. I've probably seen it three or four times since wow. now. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I have I've, kind of lo love the film. It's my number nine favorite documentary of the decade. My number eight is OJ, Made in America, from 2016. Like, eight hours long. <laughs> Not awesome. available to stream anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was shocked by that. But, you know, I thought about it, and it's like, it might be on, like, I don't know. It's on it nothing. called? Comcast? It's not even on Comcast? It, it, I'm pretty sure it's on nothing. Like, Man. you have to... 
excuse me, you have to somehow find this thing and rent it. And it does qualify because it actually was released in theaters Can as a movie. Can you imagine watching that all day? That would be really interesting and intense because I think we right. watched it per week. Yeah, so it was released in theaters and then, and it was actually before that in a festival and then it was also released on ESPN as like a, ser- a mini series. That's right. You I know, think that's how we watched out. it at the yeah. time. So everyone knows about this story to some extent or another. Mm-hmm. They all get everybody gets exposed to it at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. And what's great about documentaries is you can educate yourself properly on the topic. Yes. You know, and this is one that does that because this is actually a complex topic. Mm-hmm. The OJ Simpson everything. Yeah, you, know? every, you think you knew everything if you grew up when it was happening. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Or, but you find out, no, not really. It's a really complicated, really complicated situation. There was societal societal factors. Mm-hmm. There was him factor. There yep. was his celebrity. Yeah, his celebrity. Mm-hmm. There, there was, you know, okay, well, who were the people? Who else was in his life? And mm-hmm. there's so many factors. It's not a simple story at all, which yeah. is why. This is such a good documentary because it takes eight hours to tell it. Yeah. And then you can make your own choice, you know? Very cool. Yeah, that's an excellent pick. Excellent pick. My number eight, however, is 20 Feet from Stardom from 2013, available on Netflix. It, it, it ended up being the best documentary winner from the Academy Awards. I don't think it deserved it, but I find myself when I'm watching this, maybe because of my love of music, um, pop music, rock music, you know, rock and roll, all that sort of stuff, I find myself totally caught up in it and engaged. And I I really, it's really cool because you have, it's about basically background singers throughout the history of rock and roll, right? And how they haven't really gotten much credit. You'll hear like someone's vocals in a song. You'll know those vocals by heart, right? Or when they're coming in a song, all that sort of stuff. But you don't know who that person is. You don't know their name or anything like that. They don't have they don't have that celebrity. Uh, hence, twenty feet from stardom, right? So it's a really fascinating and fun documentary. Learning about these people and and hearing and seeing these people perform their pieces and 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 all that sort of stuff is so cool. So it's a it's a real fun movie. Twenty feet from stardom. I really enjoy it. It's from 2013 and on Netflix. My number seven is Stories We Tell uh, from 2012. I am so glad this is on your <laughs> list. From You can watch this on Prime and Hulu. This is a beautiful, personal, heart-filled project about what makes family and how we choose our family and how we choose to tell stories about our family mm-hmm. based on who we are in the, in the unit, you know? So the story is that her mother died before she got to know her. Whose mother? Clarify. Oh, gosh. Who is she? Sarah Pauly. Sarah Pauly's mother died before she could get to know her. Sarah Pauly, for those who don't know, I should say, is an actress and a director. And so she had to piece together who her mother was from all these people. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting journey. To say the least. And it also puts in the question our our memories and versus reality and how our relationship to certain events can affect our memories too. The mm. further direct we are mm-hmm. from a memory. Well, and as time goes things. by too. Yeah, it's like, fascinating. How do you remember things? Mm-hmm. And your own experiences. Like, oh, I was bitter about X, Y, Z. So I remember it 
mm-hmm. as blah 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 yep but okay now i've healed from xyz so now i remember it differently yeah that's a really great example of how the way a documentary is filmed about its subject can be very different and it very narrowly missed my top 10 Mm. best documentaries of the decade list uh, is a very strong honorable mention i'm so glad that you're giving (laughs) that time here Uh, my next film is from 2018 it's available on hulu it is free solo one of the most extraordinary experiences from a film from 2018 I ever had. I think I talked about it in a previous episode. Oh yeah, you geeked for a while. It was (laughs) insane. So for those who don't know, who didn't listen to that, well, Free Solo is what it's called when you climb a mountain without any rope. You're literally, it's just you, your hands, and your feet, right? Climbing a mountain. And it's about a guy who decides he's going to climb one of the most dangerous, he's going to free solo one of the most dangerous cliffs, which is the El Capitan in Yellowstone. It's like 3,000 feet high. And it's a fascinating film because not only does it depict very well the dangers of doing such a thing, but also it looks into, well, what kind of a personality do you have to have in order to want to do this in order to have this passion and how does having such a passion affect the people in their lives too so it's absolutely thrilling and i mean that in the edge of your seat sort of sense uh documentary this is probably the most action-packed documentary you'll ever watch in a way Mm -hmm. yeah you still haven't seen it yet i don't think but It is tremendous. And seeing it on the big screen, being only like 30 feet away from the big screen, seeing this thing, whoa. (laughs) So yeah, it's absolutely uh, uh, one of my favorites of the decade. It's number seven. My number six is life itself. Not that stupid drama-filled torture, pain, porn nonsense. I'm talking about life itself from 2014 about Roger Ebert. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a true depiction of someone living their passion and you will see through the filming and and telling of his life in this film what passion looks like. Mm-hmm. He wrote all the time about movies. He couldn't stop and he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. And if you were ever uncertain of what passion is, this is going to help you figure it out. Mm. So, yeah. What it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is available to stream on. Mm-hmm. It looks like I got distracted when I did my notes. And I, I just said where I was going to say where it streams is, is Life Itself. <laughs> Life Itself is available to stream on Life Itself. So it's it's out there somewhere. Probably Hulu. Hulu. It's on Hulu. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't hear you say that. Oh, I didn't, I didn't say because I thought you had it oh, in your notes. No, I don't. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, awesome. My number six favorite film as we are now in the halfway point if is another film from 2018 also available on hulu what i think should have won best documentary i don't think it did minding the gap which uh, just barely made your list mm. i mean this this film hit me like a ton of bricks last year it, uh, it was one of those movies where i had to write about it as soon as i saw it i had to tell everybody about it as soon as I saw it. It was not a movie I was interested in 
whatsoever at first because I, I was like, a, it's a skateboarding documentary. I'm not interested in that. But it basically says everything it has to say about skateboarding and skateboarding culture in 20 minutes. That's not what the movie's all about, right? Yeah. As you said before, you know, we're in a time, an era that is full of racism and it's a me too era it's all about how women are treated and there's toxic talk a lot of talk of toxic masculinity each of these subjects are enough for a movie on their own maybe several movies on their own and here we have a movie that deals with all of them and through the eyes of people becoming adults it also has to deal with how our parents raise us affects us as we become adults and even parents too uh, which is makes for a fascinating documentary it is by Bean Lu who I hope to see extraordinary things from because I see extraordinary things in this film it's even really well edited there's some extraordinary skateboarding sequences too and and the film ramps up and escalates towards the end in a way that's so well de- uh, edited between two different i think two or three different people that it's about you know talking it's just heartbreaking it is so emotional it's a wonderful piece and i absolutely love this film again mining the gap on hulu my number five is tower Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They made it that far on the list? That's yeah. awesome. From 2016, it was available to stream, but it must have stopped being available to stream this month. We're on the 5th mm. of May right now. Yeah, yeah. So it must have just stopped. Yeah, it, you can't find it. No, yeah. and yeah. It's, it's so silly. Yeah. It's, an, it's a great introduction to mass shootings in a school environment. This concept is really difficult and painful to understand. And this movie takes that subject matter and through illustration gives us an idea of what happened on that particular day, that particular incident that Mm -hmm. they're addressing, and even of how people were affected at that specific time. Mm -hmm. They couldn't, you have to remember, like, this was in the 60s? Yeah, 1968, So here's this incredibly traumatic thing Mm -hmm. that happened to people, to like a whole school yeah it's a university university of texas yeah in texas and so okay what's hilarious about this film is that people who realize what's what's happening are running to their cars to fetch their own guns and i just thought that that was funny because they want to try and help and defend anyway back to the actual point you know in the 60s people weren't talking about PTSD. They weren't talking about what they were feeling, what they were going through. Everyone, so he has this incredibly traumatic event that gets talked about. A, you know, if it happens now, it gets talked about a lot across all media channels. Mm-hmm. People are at the point where, you know, they're marching about it and trying to strive for change. And back then, they didn't and couldn't. This is unheard of. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. it was an unheard of event and. Mm-hmm. They couldn't heal from it in a way that we would try to heal now. Mm. And I just find it interesting because it reminds you of back then you weren't able to talk about it. Now you can talk about it. There's nothing stopping you from talking about it. There's nothing stopping from you to try and get a protective bill passed or something like that. There's nothing stopping you from protesting about safety. And it's a great reminder about that. That's fantastic. My number five film 
is from 2010. It's available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. It is Waiting for Superman. Oh, good. Which is an excellent film about our education system. And it ultimately proposes a solution, but it follows various families, various children who are trying to get into charter schools, but while doing so, it, it through various animations and graphs and and people in the education field are talking about the struggles and the setbacks that and the the issues we have as a country for our education system. And I thought it was so well articulated, so well illustrated, and you really kind of like get worked up and, and with these children's fates you know because it's basically framed that like if they don't get into a good school it kind of dooms their future and it's a fascinating uh film and i think more people need to take a look at it so that way they can reflect on our education system and try to create some solutions i think that's waiting for superman from 2010 available on hulu and amazon prime my number four is Finally, Searching for Sugar Man from 2012. <laughs> this is not available to stream anywhere, but it's worth buying. So go for it. Don't be shy. A mysterious documentary best watched without knowing what it is about mm. or how it will unfold. Mm. Know that this ride is worth every minute of your time. Yeah. And it features Detroit and South Africa. So there's sure. a little clue for you. Sure. You know. Very cool. We might hear a little bit more about that in a minute, but first, my number four film is one of the only films on my list that you that is not available to stream. It is Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work from 2010. Apparently 2010 and 2018 were great years for documentaries. So I was not a fan of Joan Rivers per se. I grew up with awareness of Joan Rivers, the comedian. And then, of course, she became like a red carpet gal and a proponent of plastic surgery. There was nothing about her that screamed, oh, you're going to love her. But then I see this documentary, and this is obviously of when she's, at when she's alive. She's, she's very heavily in the film, practically every frame. It follows her around, and here's this woman in like her 70s who's busting her ass to work so that way she can live how she wants to live and she's still killing it and she's still selling out tickets and you know there's so much that i think we could learn from watching joan rivers and learning more about her uh, through this film i grew an appreciation of her as a person and as a professional through this film and so uh, it's, and it's a film that's always stuck with me. Now, part of it is I, I have mentioned that I've grown to notice I have a fascination with films of, uh, about, doc, about comedians. Mm. This was one of the first ones to really help, like, to really lock in that fascination. Uh, still, it's, it's a favorite of mine. It's stuck with me. And if you can find it, check it out. Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work from 2010. Well, I wanted to say that Joan Rivers' documentary is really a beautiful illustration of hardworking mm -hmm. people. She worked her ass off, you're right. Number three is Finding Vivian Meyer from 2014. 
an investigation into Vivian Meyer, a street photographer, a good photographer, whose work was personal, close up, made you feel she was part of everything, but not an outsider, rather an invisible observer. It shows the concept of what makes a street photographer, or rather what makes a good documentary photographer, good. Her work was discovered by someone at an auction doing a project on the city. He was hoping that they were, you know, these were film strips, slides, and he was hoping that it would help his project. And he discovered this amazing woman who was really good at photography, but also she was a nanny. So very relatable for me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just amazing work and how nice to be able to, you know, they don't know much about her and they discover as much as they can. Isn't that cool, like how documentaries can help you learn about people you've never heard of or don't know much about? Yeah. That's a really good example. Because it was after that documentary that I then saw, you know, because obviously this guy decided he would put an exhibit up for her and they made a book of her work and I was like and I will be buying that right now (laughs) very cool my third favorite documentary of the decade is my last one from 2018 I promise it's available on HBO oh come on it's so low (laughs) won't you be my neighbor the documentary we have talked ad nauseum about about Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers neighborhood Uh, This is one of the few profile docs that transcends the person that it is talking about because you have a man who devoted his life to teaching kindness and love and the spirit of imagination to children, giving them a safe place, and that man has passed away, and it feels like there is a void in our society and, and since his passing, our society has grown more cold, more distanced, more divided. And, uh, you know, what is to be done? Who is going to fill that void? This, this documentary ultimately asks, um, after illustrating all the hard work he went into for 30 plus years and all the generations he has touched in that time. It's interesting to reflect back on a man who was a just a piece of my childhood you know granted i sesame street was more of a piece of my childhood and and other things reading rainbow and whatnot but he was a piece of my childhood and to kind of reflect back and realize how special his work was it's great to have a film like won't you be my neighbor uh, do that and a whole lot more it's available on hbo once again Mm, that's a really great film my number two is the punk singer Really? From Very cool. 2013, yeah. I am not a big fan of punk mm-hmm. music. I'm just not. It's It doesn't sit well with my brain. <laughs> and you had said, no, but we need to watch this. And then you showed me the trailer, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. So why did I need to show you it, and why was it amazing? <laughs> it's about Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill and Natigra. They are what started the Riot Girl movement, but she is the anchor throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they explore a bunch of other riot, you know, they explore the Riot Girl movement, which mm. is something that doesn't get talked about or no. is really documented or in our face as much as oh the grunge movement guys, you know, with Kurt Cobain. Sure, it's it's not in our face, no. and it really is a film about feminism. It's really about breaking through to 
claim your right to express yourself in a particular music genre mm-hmm. is how I feel about it. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm proud. The Riot Girl movement came from Olympia. I grew up and live in Olympia. I'm proud of that. And and it's fascinating learning more and seeing her. So that's awesome. I, I'm That's so cool. It's your... It, so high Do you remember how I fought you on that film too? Yeah, you just—you uh, know, it's a lesson that should be oh, learned here. You know, you need to get over yourself too. <laughs> My second favorite film of the decade, uh, the documentary of the decade, is *Searching for Sugar Man* from 2012. I love this film so much. When I first saw it, it was a roller coaster ride. It—I will say that it is about a mysterious musician from the 70s who like somehow became popular in south africa unbeknownst to everybody connected with him and he just mysteriously disappeared and it's a it's a an exploration of 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 that musician and um south africa it's it's a great way to kind of learn a little bit more about south africa too and it just you know, this is a guy who has so much mystery. Nobody, nobody has heard of this guy outside of South Africa, right? Like, and he's built up as, you know, this guy was as good as Bob Dylan. You know, he should have been mm-hmm. as famous as Bob Dylan. And you're kind of like, heard that before. You know, you know, he's, a lot of people are compared to Bob Dylan, but they're not that great. But you hear his music, you hear his writing, and you're like, Damn. You're like torn. Why so wasn't he as famous? So damn good. Well, and ultimately the film doesn't call it out, but it ultimately comes down to like the only reason why he didn't become famous was because of cultural racism, you know? Yeah. Um, And I won't go into detail as to why that conclusion, I make that conclusion, but it's like the only conclusion you can make, you know, when you watch and learn a little bit more. But I tried watching just a little bit of this movie and I couldn't like stop watching it. You know, and part of it is because the music is just so damn good, and part of it is so the is because the story is just so damn fascinating. So I love searching for Sugar Man. I'm so glad it's something that we have a connection with too. You being from South Africa, and 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 me having a fascination with music history, and uh, so yeah, it holds a special place in my heart. It's my second favorite documentary of the decade. Uh, what is Shanna your favorite documentary of the decade i'm very curious oh are you it's gonna be no surprise to you fascinating what (laughs) what is it what is it it's won't you be my neighbor oh it is yeah it is um you know jeff's already talked about what year and where it is this is our loving wake-up call to be kind to one another to search for understanding to diffuse arguments to raise the best, most compassionate children you possibly can. It's, yes, it's a biography, essentially, but I think because of what he made and who he is, it really does come down to being a reminder of who we truly are Mm. and what we're truly capable of, which is seeing past differences, gaining understanding, and loving one another. Very nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Very nice. And I'll try not to like completely bore my eyes out. Yeah. My, <laughs> however, my favorite f- documentary of the decade did make me ball. 
It is from 2014. It's available on Hulu. It is Life Itself. Oh, gosh. The Roger Ebert documentary by Steve James, who also did The Interrupters I talked about earlier. Here, not only as a film lover do I get to see depicted one of the most famous movie critics, uh, particularly of my time, the one who, one of the ones who had the biggest impact on me, Growing up, watching Siskel and Ebert, the TV show, seeing film discussion and film debate depicted on screen, I couldn't wait every week to be able to catch a glimpse of this show and try to catch, you know, try to catch the show. To learn more about him, you know, after having read so, read so much of his work, but also this film depicts a man who like is nearing the end of his life it like depicts like all the way to his death Mm. and you know this is a guy who he became his most vocal after he lost the use of his voice Mm -hmm. you know through all the articles he wrote on his blog and he always tried to keep a very positive attitude you know you see him in this film you know, waving, smiling, trying to make jokes, all this sort of stuff. And for him to come to a point where there's days where it's just too hard for him to answer even an interview question by someone he trusts, someone who he admires, someone whose work he got, like, whose career he really championed and got started. Steve James, he made Hoop Dreams in 95. Roger Ebert was a big fan of. It's, It's really affecting you know, mm-hmm. and you throw on there on top of it the the attachment that you have to this guy as uh, as a, a piece of film history, as a piece of film criticism, as someone who loves film and cinema and, and cinema. I just absolutely love this film so much. Um, is is hands down my favorite documentary of the decade, Life Itself from 2014, available on Hulu. And that's going to do it. For our favorite documentaries of the decade. It's been a fun exercise. That hasn't was it? really fun. Yeah. yeah. What what are your favorite documentaries of the decade? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna, let the kids know where they can find you on the internet. Oh, the kids. <laughs> you can find me at shannapaxton.com. S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N dot com. And from there you can find other things. Fantastic. For me and my work, uh, you can go, of course, to thegibsonreview.com, check out all the past articles, check out the current series, Best of 2010s, which has love stories, animated films, foreign films, and now documentaries. That's a whole series of pieces. You can read what I think are the best films of each in there, and there's going to be a whole lot more through the rest of the year. Check out past episodes on there. Go to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud for other episodes you can subscribe to for the movie lovers. Go to facebook.com slash the Gibson Review. Follow us on there. You'll get updates. You'll get third-party movie news links, all that sort of stuff. Go to Instagram, the Gibson 99 I try to post movie-related content on there as well. And go to the Gibson 99 at FlickChart so you can get connected to me and my list of all the movies I've ever seen in my life, which now officially breach the 3300 mark. Yay! Anyway, (laughs) so let's talk about the next episode. Next episode of The Movie Lovers. We're still taking a break from reviewing uh, film as our main event. Oh, 
what's next week? I don't know what this is. <laughs> the next episode, our main event, will be a topic of discussion, movie deal breakers. That should be a lot of fun. I don't know what that is. We, it's, it's, it's definitely inspired by a conversation we've had in the past, and uh, it'll be a fun conversation to continue. Also, Film Phase is going to go back to Back in Time, 1986. What favorite films we have from that year. Check out that episode. You should see it available on the 28th of May. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.